I'm uh, continuing to read from uh, the scriptures leading up to the uh, Easter and the Passion and Death of Christ <coughs> that are universally followed. Um, and today there was four scriptures, and I've chosen two uh, from the New Testament. The first is from Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Uh, let me just read a, a few of uh, these verses. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of the flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly place, places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus." The uh, gospel reading that accompanies this is from John 3.14 to 21, of course, that contains John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But let me just read the, uh, the first uh, three uh, verses here from uh, verses 14. And just as Moses lifted up the servant, the, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Uh, the picture here is that we've all been bitten by the serpent. You know, this is the other reading is from Exodus where they're at Mount Hor and they've rebelled and God sends serpents among them and then Moses he makes the brass serpent, and they, if they look to the brass serpent, then in some way they're, they're healed, they're saved from the snake bites. And of course, it's a, 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 this is the reference here, Moses lifted up the serpent, and in some way, the Ephesians passage and other passages, that we've all, we're all dead, uh, we've died through the trespasses of sin, we've all rebelled, that's what the Jews did at Mount Hor. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We all, Paul says, once lived following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. And so all of us once lived, and, and I'm saying this again because listen to it, following the passions of the flesh, following the desires, the senses. We were by nature children of wrath. And my question here is, how is this the case? How is this true? That we've all been bitten. We've all rebelled. We've all followed the desires. And I don't think I reject the Augustinian notion or the idea that you get in, uh, of an original sin that uh, we were born that way. I don't think we're born sinful or that sin is genetically passed on to us. Uh, a small child 
does not follow the desires of the flesh. He has not, a small child has not rebelled. Now maybe they rebel fairly early, you know, it, uh, it, it shows itself. Uh, a small child has not lived according to the course of this world. They haven't lived at all. And so what Paul is describing is a situation in which we're enculturated. Uh, that we follow the path laid out in this world. And as we're shaped in the image of our culture, our family, our fathers, as good as they may be or as poor as they may be, we are enculturated into a fallen world. I think it's important to say how we're fallen in order to understand how we're saved. Um, Seth, you know, in uh, chapter 5 of Genesis, it says that Seth is in the image of Adam. Adam, when he's created, it says Adam was created, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. But then the next genealogy, it's Seth, and it says, well, Seth is in the image of his father. So the fatherhood of God has been replaced by the fatherhood of man. We come of age in a world which bends our desires uh, according to the ways of this world. And so... This is true in many ways. We were discussing this morning. It's true politically. But even you know, in the first century, the, the myth of the emperor was it supplied an image of the ruler as the, you know, the Augustus Caesar was the embodiment, they thought, of the cosmic order that he ordained, you know, the prosperity of the human race. Uh, Augustus' reign is pictured, you know, in Rome as the, the beginning of all things. Maybe, I don't think we claim this for George Washington, but we order our world, I think, just naturally according to the culture, the country, the nation state, the, you know, whatever it is, that that tends to be the constitution of the way that we're ordering the world. And John is using this language when he talks about the cosmos. He uses it in a, there's the world in twofold sense. There's the the darkness, the world of men, the world of darkness. And then there's the cosmos that God loves and which is being redeemed. And uh, that is different than the cosmos that he's going to describe constituted by the Jews, the ruling powers, you know, Herod, Caiaphas, the Sadducees, Pharisees, uh, the Roman governor, the imperial cult. Um, So America... The ordering of the nations, the ruling powers, the religious authorities. This constitutes our cosmos. And the gospel then uh, is an alternative to that. And I think that it's important to see that if we just imagine that we are saved, you know, if you were a Jew and you thought you were saved by being a good Jew, well, you're among those who rejected Christ. Or if you thought you were a Roman and you thought being a good Roman was what saved you, well, you were among those who rejected Christ. I think we're living in a time in this country, if you think you're saved by being a good American, you're going to be among those who would crucify Christ, that there is a rebellion, and that it's at the very heart, then, of what we might think is the religious, political constitution of things. The gospel provides a universal answer to the universal human predicament. It's cosmic in that sense. It's, uh, you know, this is the world of Augustus Caesar. It's the world of Donald Trump, the world of man. And this world misshapes us if we don't depart from it. 
So it's not only, you know, even in, in the gospel, it's not only the Jews, but even the apostles. It's Judas, it's Peter, it's the immediate followers, which Jesus says, well, you're lining up with the devil. He says that to, to Peter. And the way in which they line up with the devil, and the way that we tend to line up with the devil, is that we allow ourselves to be shaped. And the word the, is the word, it is the logos, and John is going to use cosmos and logos in this twofold sense. Logos is the, there is the logos of this world, the word, the, the ordering of the world, the word that shapes us. There's the human word that shapes us. And this is over and against the word of God, that God's word delivers us from the word of man. The, the world, the cosmos of God delivers us from the cosmos of man. So a lying word, you know, when... The writer here uses the idea of the prince of the power of the air. Both Ephesians and John refer to this. Uh, it's, I think, a reference to what happens in Genesis 3. There is a lying word, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every culture, every tribe, nation believes in some way in the word of man, the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit, Paul says, that is now at work among those who are disobedient. So this is a political ruler, it's a political rule, it's a philosophical rule, uh, it's a cultural ruler, it's a religious rule. That is what constitutes our world is deconstructed, is undone in Christ. God so loved the world, in John 1.3, it's stated that all things, you know, came into being, that we've talked about this with the Gospel of John, that it's a picture, it's a reference back to Genesis, but it's recreation. And, you know, it, the, this is repeated in verse 10 of chapter 1. The cosmos came into being through him, and now it's being recreated, reconstitution, reconstituted. And this is the background, you know, the cosmos, the world, has rejected him. It says that he came to his own and his own. You know, who is this own? Well, it's the Jews, but the Jews are representative of human beings here. Human beings received him not. And so John's reference to the creation account in his depiction of the life of Christ uh, is that it re it's a recreating the cosmos, the world. Um, and it provides a perspective, it provides us a, an interpretive key to understand that salvation has to do with everything. Christianity is a reconstitution of the original creation. And so Genesis, John, it's a parallel account. I don't think we're talking about, you know, so often when we read the story of Genesis, we read that as if it's simply a picture of the material origins of the universe, you know, like if the, the writer's doing some sort of science here. But of course, what he's describing is the organization, organization and function of the cosmos it's organized, it's made functional by God for humankind. And what John is saying, that humankind that is made for is Christ. That Christ as Logos is the both creator and you know he's part of creation. And the interpretive frame for understanding the beginning, the new beginning, has to do with the relationship between God and man in through the creative, redeeming word of power. The, the word that brought the creation into existence, we now encounter in Christ. Same word, right? The Logos. So, 
What's our problem? The fall of man. It's a turning from listening to the logos of God to the word of man, a counterword, the lie of Satan, and constituting our world accordingly. Um, that this then is pictured as the, the way of death. Um, and so just as creation is going to be rightly understood through Christ, uh, you know, we've talked about the seventh day. We often think, oh, well, that seventh day, that's not important because no creative work was done on that day. Uh, in the book of John, you know, they're going to keep having these Sabbath controversies. Well, what's that all about? Well, the seventh day was the very purpose of creation. And Jesus is coming and saying, here is the purpose of the Sabbath. Here is the purpose of creation. Uh, that we are all, you know, uh, still involved in Sabbath controversies. Uh, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. He says, but in order that the world might be saved, here is the true purpose of the Sabbath. And so John uh, can be read as a fulfillment of creation. The create, what is the purpose? That God came to, uh, to fashion a temple for God, that man and God might uh, commune together. And so even when we were dead through our trespasses, he recreated us. He made us alive together. Here is creation ex nihilo happening again in our own lives. We are raised up with him. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever believes in him, it's an odd picture, isn't it? You know, why the serpent? Why the cross of Christ? In John, you know, he we have it, John begins with in the beginning and when Jesus is on the cross he says it is finished well those are the very words that are used in Genesis God pronounces on the, the uh, after the days of creation he says it's finished here is creation's purpose and that's what the cross of Christ is the idea not that, oh, Jesus is saying, I'm done for, I've been, I'm finished. It's not that idea. But it's the idea that all is completed, that the telos, the purposes of creation are now being worked out. Death had taken that away. Death had misdirected creation's purpose. And John immediately repeats the verb teleo. In, in the phrase that he Jesus has completed, he's fulfilled the scripture. Uh, he has fulfilled the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. He's finished the task of bringing light into the world, of reconstituting the cosmos. And so when Jesus, this is the other passage, you know, Jesus himself says, when the Son of Man, uh, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And, of course, the picture is the crucifixion. Why is it that point that they know? Because he says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father taught me. That it's at the crucifixion, and it's literally there, you know, the king of the Jews. And it's there that the Roman soldier says, truly, this was the Son of God. The glory of God is revealed to us through the death of Christ because it's clear the manner in which he died, and of course already the resurrection is in view, 
uh, that there is the defeat of death. There is the undoing of the way that we would constitute the world on the cross of Christ. He says in John 8, If you remain in my word, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? Well, free from the darkness, free from the way we've constituted the world, free from the word of man, free from the logos, the logic, the ordering of the world as we would have it. We are set free from the pattern of the, you know, the prince of the power of the air. So God's presence is in and through the word. And the word here, don't think of words on a page, but think of Christ, the word, the logos. That he's the temple, you know, that we are the body of Christ. Uh, My father will love him. We will come to him and make our abode with him. That we are reconstituted then as the dwelling place of God. So in John, Jesus as the word fulfills the function of the law, the temple. You know, when we say law, you understand we mean the first five books of the Old Testament. It's not just the Mosaic law. And so all of the sacrificial system, the temple system, uh, that all of that is fulfilled. And that obedience to God, entering into God's presence are made possible. You know, it's pictured there in the temple, but now we can really enter into the Holy of Holies. So, what we are, uh, for we, what we are, what he has made is created in Christ Jesus, Paul says, for good works which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. If you read that Ephesians passage, you know, you're saved by faith, and you read it in the typical Reformed or Calvinist understanding, you're not saved by works. Well, wait a minute, he immediately says, why are you saved? You're saved for works. Uh, you're saved created in Christ Jesus for good works. As many as received them, he gave them right. Here's the saving passage. Listen to how you're saved. How you you become children of God. What was the problem? We are of the family of man. We're of the children of man. We're made in the image of Adam. Now we become the children of God. We cry out, Abba, Father. Even to those who believe in his name, who are born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh. What is the problem of sin? Well, we follow the will of the flesh. We are shaped, our desires are shaped by the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. That is, in some way, in our sinfulness, we're shaped by human will. Now we're shaped by the will of God. I'm just reading the the passage here in John. So the power which gave birth to creation provides new birth through the same word. So human will or the will to know, you know, this is, you will know good and evil and you'll be like God. There is the human will constituting an alternative word. If we depend upon that knowing, we cannot receive the word of God. We cannot trust the word of man. We cannot put our identity in the world, the culture, the political system, the philosophical system, whatever, you know, the systems of this world, we cannot entrust ourselves to that and be born of God. It's a radical departure. So the raw material of the revelation is that in Jesus, God, he, when I am lifted up, he employs death 
to defeat death. What's the problem? Well, there's the orientation to death. That there is an, uh, a kind of, you know, the uh, idea, you won't die, you'll be like gods. Uh, the idea of Babel, that we can make our name great, we'll make an enduring name for ourselves. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that out of death, recreation commences. So here is recreation. You know, it's uh, again, this is the way that Paul, he says that he can raise up from stone sons of Abraham. That he can create out of nothing that which is something. Our tendency is to take nothing and imagine that it's an absolute something and God recreates then out of that, you know, uh, that, that the picture is that a kind of recreation of the human being ex nihilo. So going back to the very beginning, we can now see that the instrument, the word by which Christ brought the universe into being, brought order into the universe, that ordering, that reordering is taking place in us. So uh, maybe we could say that the cross stands eternally as the axis of the world around which this recreated cosmos rotates. Um, we can speak of creation have, as having been brought into being by and for Jesus Christ. It's whole history you know, as, is providentially guided by him from the moment that it's revealed at his passion. So theologically speaking, creation and its history begins with the passion of Christ. We understand creation's telos. It is finished. The telos is complete. Creation's purpose is found in the cross of Christ. Um, so death is the question that, uh, uh, you know, that of time put to man and, and answered in Christ. To deny death, you won't die, is to refuse simultaneously the answer given in Christ. You have to embrace death and eternal life together um, the way that uh, uh, one has put it the truly specific note in his death obviously is that the death as the manifestation of sin was changed in him into a revelation of grace the emptiness of man into the advent of God's fullness which death certainly cannot be on its own cord Accord. Death was changed into life, the visible condemnation into the visible advent of the kingdom of God. You know, you can, we could conclude with Jesus' statement, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And he who loves his life, and this is in all four Gospels, he who loves his life will lose it. That is, if you are going to Put your trust in this, you know, the constitution of the cosmos as we have it here. Then you lose life. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then he, you know, he's talking now is the judgment of the world. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the de devil, 
and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That verse you should remember, you can say, oh, that's from Hebrews chapter 2, because we just studied Hebrews, right? Hebrews is very similar in its picture of the, the Gospel of John. I think it's very similar to Ephesians. So, as we work our way uh, up to the, uh, through the Passion, the advent of, of the cross, uh, in a sense, we're coming to the center of the New Testament, but we're also coming to the center of creation. Let's sing our hymn.